You're listening to the Mission Church Podcast. Each message comes from our Sunday morning gatherings where we worship in community, study God's Word, and grow in our faith together to the glory of Jesus Christ. The Mission Church is committed to helping each person belong and believe and to equip them to embrace the call of God upon their life. We pray these messages will build your faith and encourage you today. Hey, good morning, everyone. And welcome to the Mission Church. Happy Sunday morning to you. Hope your day is getting off to a good start. Hope you got your foot out of the right side of the bed. It is a day to worship Jesus and to praise the Lord. Pastor David here with you and so glad to be with you this morning. Really appreciate you tuning in. Well, today, church, uh, we're doing just online service again. Uh, we were building so much momentum. Our services were just starting to get back to uh, uh, somewhat normal and uh, now Governor Newsom on Monday ordered that all churches have to shut down all indoor services. And uh, so here we are coming to you online today. And so today meeting online only, but I have really good news. Next Sunday, we are transforming our campus and we are putting together a outdoor church service. It's going to be amazing, really a lot of fun. And so I want to invite you out next Sunday to our outdoor service. We are going to do a giant tent. And uh, remember the old uh, big tent revivals? Well, we're bringing it back. We're going to do a giant tent, and we're going to have a stage outside, and uh, just be an amazing time. We're going to have you bring your own chairs, and uh, come, and maybe a water bottle, and we'll just come and have outdoor church together. It'll be really fun. And what a tremendous witness witnessing opportunity this is for us to be a light of Jesus Christ, a witness for Jesus Christ to our whole community. Do you know tens of thousands of cars drive down Carlsbad Village Drive every single day, and uh, we're going to be able to be just a witness of uh, those whose lives have been changed by Jesus, and we just want to worship and praise Him. So it'll be a lot of fun. Come on out. Maybe uh, bring a friend, bring a neighbor, and uh, we'll have a giant church service outside. Um, we are right in the middle of getting permits with the city. So we'd like to ask that you would pray about that. We're getting a permit with the city and with the fire department for the big tent. And we don't have that permit yet. We're hoping to, uh, to get that done. Uh, we started working on it immediately after Governor Newsom uh, issued the mandate. And uh, hoping to have that in time so that we can get going next Sunday. So check out our website for real-time updates. And it'll be a blast. Here's some things to think about. Bring a chair next Sunday, as I mentioned. Uh, we'll be meeting under the tent. We'll have regular children's ministry. Uh, the governor has allowed for daycare and, and, and uh, kids programs to continue. And so we will be having our children's ministry indoors. We'll be meeting outdoors, checking your kids just like normal. We'll have common grounds just like normal. Uh, you can bring a water bottle if you like. And uh, anyway, it'll be a really fun time. Uh, we ask you don't bring any dogs and uh, uh, just can't wait. Keep it in prayer. It's going to be really a lot of fun. Pray for the church leadership team. A lot of work on the team to get all this together. Uh, pray for their, uh, their endurance and their joy of the Lord to be just leading them. And uh, we'll uh, look forward to meeting together next week outdoors at a giant church outdoor tent revival. It'll be really fun. Um, what else do we have going on? Our kids games uh, are starting tomorrow. Uh, kids Games is our summer camp for kids. It's a week-long uh, event, and we have, I think, over 85 children coming, really excited. They're going to do soccer camps and wood wood shop and a uh, uh, really cool wood shop, by the way, where, you know, kids learn how to use tools and build things out of wood. Uh, there's going to be cooking classes, all kinds of really fun things that they're doing, and uh, we've got a whole team of volunteers. They've been working tirelessly. The church campus is transformed. Uh, you can't see right now because of the backdrop we set up, but behind me and all around me, it looks like uh, just a kid's uh, a museum. Just amazing, all the fun stuff that we have here. And so the, the, the church has done a really good job. Special thanks to Amy and the leadership team, uh, Galen and... and uh, Tori and Susan and all the leaders have just put in so much work. Special thanks to them and keep that in prayer. Uh, again, we've got a lot of kids coming. 
There's only a few spots left. If you'd like to sign up, you can uh, go to the missionchurch.net and sign up and get your kids plugged in. Starts tomorrow morning and uh, starts at 9 o'clock through noon and it runs uh, all through the week. So get plugged into that. And then last announcement that I want to hit is our summer nights have been an absolute blast. Hopefully you still have this flyer from when you came in previous weeks. Pull it out, put it on your fridge so you don't forget. Uh, We had a huge turnout for the first two summer nights. Our beach baptism was amazing. Uh, We barbecued burgers and had a baptism, baptized nine people. Uh, Had hundreds that came out to watch and to just enjoy the fellowship. Really a good time. And then last week we went on a hike at Calaveras Hills, a sunset night of worship, and it was spectacular. Big turnout for that. Really enjoyed the fellowship. The hike was amazing. We got up to the mountaintop and sang songs to Jesus. It was really good. And this week we are doing a picnic at the park and a game night. And our young adults ministry is kind of sponsoring this one. They're doing the leadership for it. And it's going to be at Holiday Park, which is in Carlsbad. And it's a bring your own burrito event. The church will provide drinks and and, uh, uh, refreshments for you. Uh, But bring your own dinner. And uh, then we're going to have all kinds of fun games, spike ball and cornhole and can jam and all the all those fun games. And uh, we'll just sit in lawn chairs out at the park and have a good time together. Uh, so that's every uh, Wednesday night, and we're meeting at 6.30 p.m., and I hope you can come out to that. Please put that up on your... Uh, uh, on your fridge so you don't forget, and it'll be really fun to, to come to that. It's a great opportunity to bring a friend who normally doesn't come to church. Uh, we're watching the Lord do just an amazing work here at the church. Last Sunday, uh, we had over uh, 30 people who raised their hands and made a commitment to Jesus Christ. One of them was a woman who gave her life to Jesus, a young, a young woman. And uh, she, with just tears in her eyes, uh, came and the team prayed for her. And she went on the summer night's hike on Wednesday and uh, hiked up to the top of the mountain. And we were singing songs, just tears running down from her face in awe of Jesus. And this brand new relationship as a brand new babe in Christ begins the journey in, their, in, in her faith. And uh, just awesome to watch. So the Lord's doing a great work. Be a part of it. Keep it in prayer. And um, to that, why don't we pray and we'll jump into our Bible study. Let's get your Bibles out and uh, hit the pause button. If you don't have it, get your Bibles out, get a pen out, and we'll jump into the Word together. Let's pray together. Uh, Lord, we come before you and we do lift up all these things that you're doing here at the church. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness. And even though these are perilous times, even though these are, well, they're, they're times of uncertainty. Uh, Lord, we know that this is a, an amazing time for the gospel to go out. And Lord, we pray that you would use our church as a bright light in this community. Help us to lean in, Lord, and, and not, to, not to hold back during this time when it would be easy just to say, well, we're not going to do much and we're going to just sit back and watch. No, Lord, help us to really lean in and that you might bring revival in us and through us, and to our community as uh, you bring many souls to salvation. So Lord, thank you for that great work. We're already seeing you do it, and it's exciting to watch. We pray for our kids' games that are meeting this week. Oh Lord, bless all those children, 85 children, Lord. May your hedge of protection be upon them, and may you use this, Lord, to help them grow in their knowledge of Jesus. May you anoint the Bible teaching that happens for them, and all the the fun events, Lord. May it all be to your glory as we build these young lives. And right now, we bring our own hearts before you, and we ask, Lord, that you would speak to us from your word. We want to know you, Jesus. We want to see you more clearly. And so, Lord, we come to you now, and we ask that you would bless the teaching of your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. Well, open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9. We are making our way through the Bible, through the book of Matthew, one verse at a time. And we are picking up right where we left off last week. We're in Matthew chapter 9. And uh, been fascinating to watch Jesus and his plan in ministry as it unfolds. And we see how intentional he is at what he's been doing. 
And now chapter 9, let's look, let's jump in. You'll remember we left off with Jesus healing the demoniac. Uh, the demoniacs were uh, demon-possessed men who were living in the tombs and uh, they're uh, uh, just tormented by the uh, number of demons that were in them. And um, Jesus came and healed them. And uh, now we see uh, after he heals them, uh, they ask him to leave their area. And so let's pick up uh, in chapter 9. So he, that's Jesus, got into a boat and he crossed over. That's the, the Sea of Galilee. Into, the, into a boat again, he crosses over the Sea of Galilee again and he came to his own city. His own city, that's Capernaum. Then he, then behold, they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. Uh, let's kind of stop there and break this down a little bit. How amazing. Uh, Jesus, you look at what he's doing. He had just left the demoniac, just left uh, the, the demon-possessed guy that he had healed at Gadara, and they tell him to leave. Get out of here. And in doing so, Jesus fulfills their wish. He gets into the boat and he leaves and he goes back to Capernaum. Capernaum was his hometown. I have a map for you that I'd like to show you. Take a look and see if we can see what's happening here. Uh, Gadara was down here. Hopefully I'm getting this on the camera. Gadara was down here. Jesus was up in Capernaum. Uh, this was kind of his hometown where he camped out at. Did a lot of his ministry up here in Capernaum. And he sails all the way down, all the way across the entire Sea of Galilee, down to Gadara. And uh, there he meets the demon-possessed guy. You'll remember the storm happened on the sea, and the disciples thought they were going to drown, thought they were going to die. And uh, Jesus was sleeping on the boat, and they woke him up, and they said, hey, don't you care that we perish? And then they get there, and they land in Gadara, and the demon-possessed guy's there. And Jesus heals them. How kind, man, just how kind. And Jesus then, uh, they tell them, hey, we don't want you here. Uh, he cast the demons, uh, which were many, into the herd of swine. And over 2,000 swine go off a cliff and die. And the people cared more about the swine than they did the people. They cared more about their business than they did about Jesus. And they tell Jesus, get out of here. And so Jesus leaves Gadara and he goes back across the Sea of Galilee again and comes back to Capernaum. Uh, and uh, this is where we pick up in chapter 9. And so uh, Jesus is there and he gets back to Capernaum here. And when he does, uh, more sick people start coming. More people who are broken and more people who need, uh, you know, just all kinds of counsel and healing and all their needs they bring to him. And you would think that uh, Jesus would get worn out by the needs of all these people. Think about all the sickness and the disease and all the people needing help and the non-stop flood of people that are coming to Jesus. You would think he would say, man, I've had enough. This is just too much. I need a break. But Jesus doesn't do that. His love is so much better than our love. His kindness is so much more than our kindness. His patience is so much more than our patience. His love is amazing. I've titled the message this morning, The Kindness of Jesus. And here we just see the incredible kindness pouring out as Jesus speaks to this paralytic. So Jesus uh, here, and he's teaching a Bible study. Uh, Mark's gospel tells us a little bit more about this incident, and it says Jesus was actually in a house. It could have been, it probably was Peter's house. Peter lived in Capernaum. You'll remember he healed Peter's mother-in-law in Capernaum. Peter was married, by the way. Uh, healed Peter's mother-in-law mother in Capernaum. And Jesus often spent time at Peter's house. Uh, 
And here he's in a house, if it was Peter's or not, we don't know, probably was, but he's in a house and he's teaching a Bible study. He's leading a mission group. And crowds of people are coming to Jesus. There's just all over the place. And these crowds are so massive, they're just coming in. They're sitting by the windows outside. And they're gathered all around the house. They just want to maybe catch some words of Jesus' teaching. And Jesus was teaching the Bible. I love that. We teach the Bible because that's what Jesus did. That's why we do it, because he did it. Jesus came to teach the word of God, to show us what God's word really meant, and then to die on a cross to take our sins on his own shoulders so that we could have our sins forgiven and his righteousness could be given to us. What an amazing savior. Oh, the kindness of Jesus. And here as these multitude of people are gathering around, Jesus is teaching the Bible. And Mark's gospel tells us that uh, these, these four guys had taken this paralytic and they had climbed up on top of the roof in the house that Jesus was teaching at. And roofs in that day were flat. They weren't like our pitched roofs like this. Roofs in Israel at the time were flat. They often had patios up there. And there were people just all over the house. They can't get in. And so they climb up to the top of this house. And they actually dig a hole in the roof. And they lower this, this uh, paralyzed guy down by ropes. Just amazing. Consider all the hoops they had to jump through for that to happen. And consider the tenacity of these guys to do that. Hey, right now, I know it's getting more difficult to come to church. But I want you to see the tenacity of these guys and how much they want to get their friends to to Jesus. Just an amazing story to consider. And they interrupt Jesus right in the middle of his Bible study. And I can imagine, picture it, there you are in your living room right now, picture it, right? You're sitting there, you got your Bible, crowds everywhere, Jesus is teaching, everybody's listening, and all of a sudden plaster and stuff starts falling down, and everybody looks up, just would have been wild, right? And they lower this paralytic in by ropes. And when Jesus saw their faith, look what it says here in verse 2, when Jesus saw their faith. Oh, I love that statement. When Jesus saw their faith, he was moved with compassion. His heart was touched. Oh, just amazing. He wasn't annoyed. It doesn't say when he, when he saw them, he was annoyed. It doesn't say, oh, when he saw them, he was agitated. It said when he saw them, when he saw their faith, he was moved by it. Jesus saw how hard these, the, the, the friends of this paralytic worked to get him to Jesus, and it touched Jesus' heart. And I want you to know something, church. This is something you can hold on to. This is something you can bank on. There is only one thing that we have that can touch Jesus' heart. You want to know what it is? It's our faith. Our faith. Our faith touches Jesus' heart. And here Jesus' heart is touched by their faith. Jesus knew how many hurdles they had to fight to get their friend to Jesus. He knew how many obstacles they had to go through, how many hoops they had to jump through, and nothing would stop them from bringing their friend to Jesus. And Jesus looks at their faith and he goes, oh man, I love that. I love that. And doesn't that encourage you? In this world that is often hostile to Jesus. Doesn't it encourage you to know that Jesus sees how hard we're trying. To bring our friends to Jesus. To bring our neighbors to Jesus. To bring our co-workers and the, the, the banker and the grocery store clerk to Jesus. Aren't you glad Jesus sees how hard you're trying to bring people to him? Jesus sees. And when you share the gospel, he knows, he knows just the perseverance that is required. He knows that you shared the gospel six times to your coworker and they mocked you six times. 
And he knows that you continue on and that you persevere and that you're still trying. He knows that you're praying for your coworker, even though they've mocked you six times. And these things touch Jesus' heart. He knows that you've invited your neighbor to church so many times. He knows that you're praying for that son or that daughter or that brother or that sister or that mom and that dad. And he, he sees and it touches his heart. Here it says, when Jesus saw their faith and he knew all that they had gone through to bring this man to him, it blessed him. It blessed him. And look what Jesus says. Son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. Oh, I love that. First, he calls him son. Son, yeah, you are in the family of God. You are a child of God. Son, be of good cheer. Rejoice. Be happy. You belong to me. Uh, you are... You are a son of God. Your inheritance is rich. It is lavish. Uh, the, the creator of creators will bless you and build you. And then he tells him, your sins, which are many, are forgiven. And you say, wow, what kind of sins can a paralytic have? Well, just as many as you and me. Your sins are forgiven. Great words, man. I love it. Son, be of good cheer, your sins are forgiven. Just amazing, just amazing. How kind is Jesus? And oh, how Jesus values us. Notice again, he's not put off by this guy. He's not upset by this guy. He's not irritated by this guy. Jesus values this crippled man. And he is willing to stop everything to meet his needs and to make him whole. Son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven. Can you imagine how those words ministered to this man? Can you imagine what it would be like for this man? Think about how intimidating it would have been for this paralytic to be brought in before Jesus. Put yourself in his shoes just for a moment. Your friends tell you, hey, we're going to bring you to the Messiah. He's healing people. Man, I don't know about that. Are you sure? Yeah, we're sure. We've seen it. You've got to meet this guy. I don't know. No, no, no. You need to come. So you finally say, okay, I'll go. And now you get there and there's so many people. And there's obstacles at every corner. Obstacle after obstacle, shut door after shut door, you just can't get in and can't get near Jesus. And you feel like giving up. You tell your friends, oh man, just forget it. But you press on. Instead of giving up, you press on in faith. And now they lower you down through the roof. You're worried that the owner of the house is going to yell and scream at you. You're, you're, you're worried that you're coming down through the roof and they are bringing you down before the Messiah. The most important human on the planet. And you are interrupting his program. Think how intimidating that be. And as they're lowering you down, suddenly everything stops. The room gets quiet Suddenly you are the center of attention and you don't want to be. And all eyes are on you. Put yourself in his shoes. And all the people are looking at you and most of them are giving you the stink eye because you interrupted Jesus' teaching. And now you're coming down before the Messiah as they lower you down. Can you imagine? And Jesus looks at you. And you're trembling. You're wondering what in the world he's going to say. And he looks at you and he smiles and he says, Son, wow, that's a good start. My son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. Wow. 
Imagine how life-giving this was for, the, for this paralytic. Imagine how it touched his heart. Imagine when the creator of the universe looks at you, smiles, calls you a son, tells you to be full of joy, and says your sins are forgiven you. Oh, his soul felt its worth. I still remember the day when I met Jesus and he spoke those words to my heart and man, it changed me forever. I was literally born again from that moment on and my life has never been the same. What an incredible story. What an incredible story that we read and how this man's life is going to change. Look at verse 3. We'll pick on. We'll pick up where we left off. Verse 3. And some of the scribes said within themselves, This man blasphemies. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your heart? For which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven you? Or to say, Arise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, Arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. And he arose and departed to his house. And when the multitude saw it, they marveled, and they glorified God, who had given such power, to men. Just incredible, this story, man, as if it wasn't good enough already. Look what happens here. I mean, Jesus is just amazing. He knows what's going on in these guys' hearts. When Jesus says, son, be of good cheer, your sins are forgiven you. These men that are around, uh, uh, Mark's gospel tells them they were the scribes and the religious leaders of Jesus' day. When they heard Jesus say, your sins are forgiven you, man, they got upset. They began to get really upset inside, like, oh my gosh, why were they so upset? Well, for good reason. These were blasphemous words. Your sins are forgiven you? Yeah, here's why they're blasphemous words, because a man cannot forgive another, another man of sins that are against God. You see, all of our sin is against God, and a man can't forgive a man of sins done against God. It's just not possible. And so the religious leaders, they're correct in being upset. This is blasphemous, unless Jesus is God. Unless Jesus is God. Let me give you an analogy of what it would be like. Uh, imagine that you just bought a new house here in Carlsbad. And you're all excited and you've got this new house. You've got a $700,000 mortgage on your house. Your payments are over $3,000 a month. And you're in your new house and you say, Hey, Pastor Dave, come on over. I want to have you over and show you my new house. So I come over to your new house and I say, Wow, your house is really nice. It looks amazing. Congratulations. And they say, Yeah, man, we got a big mortgage on it though. It's going to be a big payment. And I say, Hey, don't worry about it. Your mortgage is forgiven. What's going to happen? They're going to look at me and they go, You're crazy. You have no power to forgive that mortgage. Well, I would say, why? Why not? Because we didn't borrow the money against you. We borrowed against the mortgage company, against the bank. You can't forgive our mortgage. And that's exactly what was happening here as these religious leaders look at Jesus. They were like, what the heck? You can't, you can't do that. That is blasphemy. And so the religious leaders were right in one hand. It would be blasphemy for a man to forgive another man of sins that were done against God. And so Jesus asks them an interesting question. Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven? Or pick up your bed and walk? Well, if you were talking to a paralytic, anybody could say, 
your sins are forgiven. Oh, you poor guy, your sins are forgiven. But it wouldn't mean anything. It would mean absolutely nothing. Just like me telling my friend who has a big, huge mortgage, your mortgage is forgiven. Sorry, you don't have the power to do that. Anybody can say it though. Anybody can say your sins are forgiven. But nobody can tell a paralytic, rise up and walk. And Jesus says, so that you might know that I have the power to forgive sin, rise up and walk. And I imagine the guys on the roof, they were going, yeah, baby, that's what we were hoping for. I wonder what they were thinking when they lowered him down and Jesus said, oh, son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven. And they said, what did he say? Did he say walk? No, they said sins forgiven. Sins forgiven. No, that's not what we wanted. So often we don't understand the big things that are important to the God, the things that really matter. So often we're focused on things that don't matter. Oh, Lord, help me. I got a sore throat. Oh, help me, Lord. I need a parking spot. Oh, help me, Lord. I, I'm running late for any green lights as I'm going to work. Yeah, those are kind of incidentals. Jesus knows what we really need. And what, he, what we really need is our sin to be forgiven. Jesus is so kind. He gives us our greatest needs. But he also cares for this man and he wants to illustrate to these religious leaders exactly who he is. Do you know what's happening here? Jesus gives this guy the ability, this paralytic, the ability to walk. Think about it now. If you, I mean, if you've never walked, you don't have any muscle. You don't have the, the ability to even know how to walk. And Jesus heals him and heals him completely. Allows muscle to be defined. Allows neurons to know how to walk. Allows a paralyzed body and nerve endings to now function. Just an amazing miracle speaking to his whole person. But here's what's happening. Jesus, he's doing something very intentional. He's revealing to all who he really is. He is revealing that he is God. Very systematic what Jesus is doing. Notice the book of Matthew. Pay attention. He gets baptized. The Spirit calls out, comes down upon him from heaven in bodily form and stays on him. There's a booming voice from heaven. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And his public ministry now begins. He goes out into the wilderness and is tempted for 40 days by the devil. And he endures the temptation of Satan. Shows that he has power to endure temptation. He then comes down from the, out of the wilderness and goes up to the Sermon on the Mount and preaches the most life-giving message that has ever been given. And he gives us the values of the kingdom. Tells us what God's kingdom is really all about. He comes down from the Sermon on the Mount and then he begins doing all kinds of things to show who he is. He has taught. It's been amazing. His words were life-giving and now he comes down and the first thing he does is he heals a man of leprosy. Leprosy, a picture of sin. And he heals a man of leprosy. He then goes around and does all kinds of healing. Healing of all kinds of sicknesses. He then goes across the Sea of Galilee and a giant storm rages. The winds and the sea all, in, you know, just experienced fishermen saying, we're going to die in this one. And with the word, he calms the storm to show he has power over nature. Power over sickness. Power over disease. Power over nature. Just amazing how he's progressing. Then he comes across the sea and he comes to the uh, demoniac. Uh, they're just uh, a legion of demons inside this guy and he shows that he has power over the supernatural world. And now comes back across the Sea of Galilee, back to Capernaum, and Jesus shows that he has the power to forgive men of their sins. Son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. Blasphemy that you might know that I have the power to do that. That I am God in the flesh. He is revealing who he really is. Take up your bed and walk. And a paralytic who's never walked before 
stands up, has the strength, the ability, and the, the, um, the coordination to just walk. I mean, just amazing. And everyone marvels. Everyone mar- marvels. Uh, everyone marble, marvels. They glorify God. And I tell you what, many people got saved. And this is the kindness of Jesus. This is the kindness of our Savior. Look what it says here. Uh, when the multitude, verse 8, when the multitude saw it, they marveled and they glorified God who had given such power to man. Jesus is showing who he is. He's revealing who he really is. He is God in the flesh and uh, just amazing. Notice what he tells this, this paralytic also. Verse 9. I'm sorry. No, no, no. Um, Verse 7. I'm sorry. The end of verse 6. Jesus says, Arise, take up your bed, and go to the temple? No. Arise, take up your bed, and get to work? No. Arise, take up your bed, and go to the marketplace, and show everybody that you're healed? No. Arise, take up your bed, and go where? Go to your own house. Go to your own house. Go to your home. And I think there's an important note here for us to hold on to. Our ministry always begins at home. Our worship always begins at home. Our service to God always begins at home. And Jesus tells this man, go home. Teach your wife about me. Show them how kind and gracious I have been to you. Teach your sons and your daughters about me. Tell them about what happened. Teach them uh, that I've come to bring the forgiveness of sins. Tell your parents who have taken care of you all of their lives and uh, just that their burden is lifted. The Messiah has made you whole. You are now completely healed. Tell your neighbor, yeah, go home and do your ministry at home. It's so important that we, we, we... that we do our ministry at home. Home is sometimes what gets neglected. And so important that we do our ministry at home. One of the qualifications that we look for in a leader at the church is a man who has his house in order. A woman who has his house in order. We get that from 1 Timothy where it says the qualifications of a leader and the leader has to first have their own house in order. For the Bible says if a man does not have his own house in order, how then can he allow the, uh, put the church, of, the church of Jesus in order? And so, so important. And we see the consistency of Jesus. So uh, anyway, just an amazing story. The next thing we're going to see here is uh, the kindness of Jesus. We see the kindness of Jesus to the paralytic. Now you know what we're going to see? We're going to see the kindness, the kindness of Jesus to prodigals. As Matthew is now going to tell how he came to Jesus Christ. Let's look at verse 9. This is a powerful verse. Man, I love this verse. Verse 9, one verse. And Jesus passed on from there. That was the house in Capernaum, probably Peter's house, where he just healed the paralytic. Jesus passed on from there, and he saw a man named Matthew. This is Matthew writing. Matthew uses his new names. The other gospel accounts say the man's name was Levi. Levi. He saw a man named Matthew, or Levi, sitting in the tax office. He was a tax collector. And he said to him, Follow me. So he arose and followed him. Short little verse, man, just pregnant with meaning, just so full. Uh, We learn from Mark's gospel that, again, his name was Levi. And Mark tells us a little bit more about Levi or Matthew. It tells us that Levi was the son of Alphaeus. Uh, we know that he grew up in a strong Jewish, Jewish home. We know that because Alphaeus names his son Levi. Levi would be the name of the priestly tribe of Israel. So he's a Jewish man and his father is trying to get a son to walk in the right ways, calling him Levi. But something happened in Levi's life. Uh, Levi left his faith. 
Levi became a prodigal. Levi leaves the faith and he does something shocking for a Jewish man. He becomes a tax collector for Rome. That was a powerful position. Levi was rich. Levi was intelligent. And Levi was in a powerful position as a tax collector to Rome, but he would have been a traitor to Israel. Levi is a prodigal. He has been, he has, he has turned his back on Israel. And it was a huge disappointment to his family who had called him Levi and had big hopes for him as he would grow up to walk with the Lord. But now he is a black sheep, a black sheep not only to his family, but a black sheep to all the nation of Israel as he is taking taxes from other Jewish brothers and sisters to give to Rome. He would have been hated by all the Jews. And so here's the question. Why did Levi leave his faith? Why did Levi leave his family? Why did Levi turn his back on Israel? And the answer is, we don't know for sure. But we do have a really super good hint. Do you want to know what that hint is? It's the word hypocrisy. Matthew in his gospel, or Levi, who becomes Matthew in his gospel, uses the word hypocrisy more than all three other gospels combined. He uses the word hypocrisy more than any other writer in the New Testament, including the Apostle Paul. Matthew uses the word hypocrisy a lot in his writings, and I believe it gives us a hint into why Matthew left his Jewish faith. Matthew saw the, uh, perhaps saw the hypocrisy and said, I'm out. I want no part of it. And he went headlong into the Roman world and into the Roman lifestyle and into seeking power and wealth and notoriety and, and all the things that the world has to offer. And as he did, he was disowned by his own people. And they begin to hate Matthew. In that culture, oh, a tax collector was despised. He probably got spit on as he was walking to work by his former Jewish peers. He was disowned by his own people. Maybe you grew up in a Christian home. Maybe you grew up in a Christian school. Maybe you grew up and you went to church and you can relate to how Levi feels. You saw the hypocrisy in your home. You saw the hypocrisy in your school. You saw the hypocrisy in your church. And you said, you know what? I don't like this. I want no part of it. Maybe you can relate to Levi. Here's what I want you to see. Jesus comes and he finds Levi. If you haven't watched the, the series, The Chosen, yet, oh man, watch it. It is so good. There's a great uh, passage that this, a great movie, excuse me, a great show where it shows the, the calling of Matthew and Jesus talking to Matthew. And it's just, it's awesome. I think it was really well done. But Jesus comes looking for Matthew and he calls him and he asks him, hey, I want you to follow me. Jesus finds Levi, and Jesus just rocks Levi's world. Jesus is not like anything he has seen before. Jesus is so pure, so real, so true. He's unlike all the fake, two-faced religious people that he's known. No, Jesus isn't like that at all. He's not like anything Levi has ever seen. Jesus isn't trying to elevate himself. Jesus isn't trying to impress anyone. Jesus isn't trying to get a position of power or anything in the synagogue. As a matter of fact, he stays away from all of that. Jesus isn't using people to get what he wants. As a matter of fact, Jesus is selflessly and tirelessly showing his kindness to everyone. And Levi is blown away. And when Jesus talks to Levi, Jesus talks to him as valuable. 
Here his own Jewish brothers wouldn't even talk to him. Perhaps they would spit on him, as I mentioned, when he was going to work. And now the Messiah, a Jewish man, talks to Levi and talks to him as a valuable human, not as a traitor of Israel. And note this, Jesus doesn't call him Levi. He calls him Matthew. And you know what Matthew means? Gift of God. Jesus tells Matthew, Matthew, you're a gift of God. You're a gift of God. I created you. I formed you. He's, he shows Matthew his worth. And oh, how Matthew's soul must have swelled up when Jesus spoke to him. Oh, how Je- Jesus' words must have penetrated to the depth and to the core of his being. Because Matthew does something interesting. Jesus says, follow me. And you know what Matthew does? He gets up and he follows him. Just amazing. Amazing. What does it mean when Jesus says, follow me? What does that mean? Jesus has called you and me to be followers of him. What does that mean? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? Here's what it means. It means we unite ourselves with Jesus. It means that we devote ourselves to learning how to do life his way. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It means to allow Jesus to be our Lord, to abide in Him and to do life together with Him and to learn His ways. I love that that was Jesus' words. Jesus said, take on my ways and learn of me for my yoke is easy and my burden is light and you will find rest for your souls. That's what it means to follow Jesus. It means learn how to do life Jesus' way. Abide in Him and unite ourselves with Him. That's what it means. We often think following Jesus means something entirely different. We often think that following Jesus means that we're to quit swearing, uh, we're going to try to be a good person, we're going to go to church on Sunday now. I'm following Jesus. Hey, wrong idea. Bogus idea. It doesn't mean any of those things. That's not what it means to follow Jesus. Those things will come as a fruit of following Jesus, but that is not at all what it means to follow Jesus. Following Jesus says means that we unite ourselves to him. We say, Lord, I want to know who you are. The way you love me touches my life. You have such wisdom. I want to know your ways. I want to glean from your wisdom and discernment. I want you to lead, guide, and direct me all the days of my life. And Matthew says, I'm in. I'm in. Jesus is inviting Matthew into a deep and abiding relationship with him each and every day of his life. And Matthew says, I'm in. Matthew gladly leaves his high-paying tax job, his position of power, the wealth that he's, 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 he's making, and he says, man, I'm leaving it all, and I'm in. And he never had a desire to go back because Jesus loved him and transformed his life, gave his life purpose, gave his life meaning. Oh, how incredible. And this is what Jesus does for all of us. He did it for me. And I gladly left my business and the things I was pursuing to embrace Jesus' call on my life. And you say, well, Pastor David, does that mean I'd have to leave my business like Matthew or like you did? No, 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 no. But it means you go to work differently. It means that you go to work now to be a builder of God's kingdom. It means you go to work for, uh, to abide in Jesus and that, and that his lordship in your life is more important than anything else. It does mean that. That's what it means to follow Jesus. And Matthew does it gladly, does it willingly, not out of compulsion, but out of desire because he's experienced the love of Christ. Jesus said, you, we, you only love me because I first loved you. Uh, until we experience the love of Christ, we can never follow him. I love the Psalm of David, Psalm 63. Just a great psalm for reflection. I want to give you a couple of verses of it, if I may. Here it is on the screens. It's a great picture of what it means to follow Jesus, by the way. Read this with me out loud in your homes for me. Read it out loud. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. 
There's a great psalm, uh, excuse me, a great song by Shane and Shane. Might want to look it up on Spotify. Uh, Shane and Shane, Psalm 63 Live. They sing this song. It's amazing. It's amazing. Uh, he says, your unfailing love is better than life itself. Therefore, I will praise you. I will praise you as long as I live. Lifting up my hands to you in prayer. Why? Why? Well, because you satisfy me more than the richest feast, more than the nicest banquet, more than anything that I could ever desire. You satisfy me more than the richest feast. I will praise you with songs of joy. I lie awake thinking of you, meditating on you through the night, because you are my helper. I sing for joy in the shadow of your wings. Yeah, I just love to be under your covering, under your protection, under your leadership. It just makes me so joyous. I cling to you. Your strong right hand holds me securely. Right hand is a symbol of power. He says, hey, look, I'm just held under your wings. I'm just covered under your umbrella of protection. Your right hand, it is a, it is uh, just a strong sense of salvation for me and I know that I am secure in you and I just love following you. Psalm 63 is a great picture of what it means to follow Jesus. It's a great example of what is happening in Matthew's life and it's everything that is going on in Matthew's world. Matthew's life has just found its real purpose. You see, in Jesus Christ, everything in Matthew's life has come into fruition of what it was intended to be. Matthew now understands the purpose of all his intelligence that God gave him. Matthew was very intelligent. Matthew quotes the Old Testament more than any of the other gospel writers. And he shows how Jesus fulfilled all these Old Testament prophecies. And God used, Jesus used all of his intelligence, not for counting taxes for Rome. No, 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 no. For building God's kingdom. And, and Matthew's intelligence came into its perfect place. All of Matthew's giftings, his passion for truth now finds its per perfect place in Jesus. His disdain for hypocrisy now finds its perfect place in Jesus. His love for truth and all that he, God gifted him with now finds its perfect place in Jesus. And Jesus used Matthew's life powerfully. Follow me, Matthew. Follow me. Jesus is saying the same thing to us this morning. Follow me, David. Follow me, insert your name here. And man, I will use your life and use it power powerfully. Let's close with a couple more verses. And uh, we're going to see that Matthew does something that a follower would do. A follower who is moved by love. Do you know what happens? You know what we're going to see next? Matthew throws a dinner party for Jesus. Uh, we'll read three more verses and we'll wrap things up. Look at verse 10. Now it happened... As Jesus sat at the table in the house. The house, Luke's gospel tells us. You can look it up. Luke's gospel tells us. The house was Matthew's house. Uh, Matthew quits his job. Throws a big party for Jesus. It happened as Jesus sat in the table in, in the house, Matthew's house. That behold, many tax collectors. Circle many tax collectors. And sinners, circle sinners, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him, with Jesus and his disciples. Yeah, Jesus had already called many of the disciples when he called Matthew. Matthew was one of the last disciples that Jesus called. And how kind of Jesus. Look at the kindness of Jesus. He's sitting with all the filthy people of the world, the tax collectors and the sinners. Verse 11. And when the Pharisees saw it, the Pharisees were the religious leaders of Jesus' day. When they saw it, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard that, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a, of a physician. But those who are sick, yeah, they're the ones that need a physician. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Yeah, here Jesus quoting from the book of Hosea. Uh, a great book to read, by the way, where the nation Israel was wayward. And he says, hey, remember what was in the book of Hosea? I desire mercy 
and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Matthew shows us what it means to follow Jesus. Matthew wants his friends to come and meet Jesus. Matthew wants everyone he knows to come and meet Jesus. Just as they are. Just, hey, just come. Just as you are and meet the guy who changed my life. You're not going to believe this guy. He's amazing. And so Matthew thinks to himself, what can I do to get all my friends together so they can meet Jesus? And he says, hey, I'm going to hold a giant dinner party. I'm going to spare no expense. And Matthew was wealthy. I'm to spare no expense. I'm going to set it up nice. I'm going to feed them well. And I just want them to come and to have dinner with Jesus. Yeah, Matthew shows us what it means to follow Jesus. And so all the people come and Luke's gospel tells us Jesus was the guest of honor. So Jesus comes in and Matthew tells them, guys, everybody, this is the one I've been telling you about. His name is Jesus. Welcome him. And everybody welcomes Jesus as he comes in. Matthew establishes him as the guest of honor in his house. And I want you to know something. It tells us Matthew's friends were not clean cut guys. They were not nice and you know, no, they were dirty. They were sinners. They were tax collectors. Tax collectors were corrupt. They would do shady things in business. They would, they would cook the books a little bit and make sure that you paid extra so they could take some money and then give the, what, what you owed to Rome and they'd get rich by doing it. These were corrupt men. They were drinkers. They were partiers. And it was obvious that these guys were dirty guys. These guys were not clean. So obvious that verse 11 tells us the religious leaders looked in and go, unbelievable, what is Jesus doing hanging out with those guys? And Jesus was hanging out with them. Having a good time with them. I find it interesting that prostitutes and tax collectors and the worst of the worst felt comfortable and felt loved around Jesus. And you know what that tells me? That if we're followers of Jesus, how should those people feel around us? Well, if they felt comfortable around Jesus, they should feel comfortable around us. And that's what Jesus is saying in this passage. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Jesus wants us to be merciful and compassionate to others. Why? Because it's the best way to reach people who are not currently going to heaven. Jesus wants unbelievers to relate to his children well. To go, man, I like being around that guy. Did you know he was a Christian? No, wow, amazing. Yeah, gosh, I like being around. Yeah, Jesus wants unbelievers to relate to Christians well. That's his desire. He hopes that when they look at his children, when the unbelievers, when the sinners look at his children, us Christians, that they don't look at them as going, wow, they're not very good. They're kind of mean. They're kind of judgmental. They're kind of holier than thou. Yeah, Jesus doesn't want that to happen. Jesus wants unbelievers to relate to his children well. And man, I think we should really take that to heart. Notice what Matthew did here. Matthew did not try to hide his friends from Jesus. Matthew did not try to hide his life from Jesus. He didn't go around and say, Oh, put away the magazines. Clear the cash on the computer. Jesus is coming over. No, no, no. He didn't do any of those things. He didn't pretend to be righteous. He did not attempt to live two lives, a religious life and a secular life. And I'll keep them very separate. No, he didn't do any of those things. Matthew did not act like he was more righteous than his friends now that he knew Jesus. I'm not going to hang out with you anymore. No, no, he didn't do that. And I say all these things because it is easy for us to unknowingly become like the religious leaders. And to pretend that we're righteous, to pretend that we're holy, to pretend that we're spiritual. Can I tell you something? We are not. Not apart from Jesus. Now in Jesus, we are all of those things. We're righteous and holy and spiritual, but not on our own. 
And you know what? When we pretend that we are, it's a sham. It's a total scam. It's a facade. If you were honest with yourself, and if I am honest with myself, here's the truth. We are so sinful. We are so corrupt. We are so selfish. We are so crooked. Why would we ever pretend to be righteous and to to fake it? And we need Jesus every bit as much as the prostitute does. And so may we never put on a religious, self-righteous facade like the religious leaders were here. I tell you what, church, when we come to church, I hope that we never put on our best behavior and try to act spiritual around others. Jesus hates that because it's fake. And if we do that, here's what happens. You know what happens? When we put on that fake sense of righteousness, when we try to impress others by looking like we have it all together, like looking like we're spiritual, do you know what happens? We don't come to Jesus ourselves, and we don't bring others to Jesus. Matthew knew he was a mess. He knew he was a sinner. He knew he was saved by grace. And so he came to Jesus and he was hungry for Jesus and he brought his friends to Jesus. And that's the way it works. That's the way it works. Jesus told the religious leaders of his day, he said, Woe to you, you scribes and Pharisees. You travel land and sea. You spend thousands of dollars to win a single proselyte, to bring a single person into the faith. And when you bring him into the faith, you make him twice a son of hell as you are. Jesus' words, not mine. You know what he's saying? Paraphrase. He's saying, you know what? You hardly ever bring anybody to to church. You hardly ever bring anybody to the faith. And when you do, they they don't even come to a saving relationship with me. They just become religious hypocrites twice as bad as you. Wow, those are harsh words. Those are harsh words. And I have to ask the question, I wonder, do unbelievers feel judged when they're around us? Are unbelievers comfortable in our presence? Are we so self-righteous that we're no longer effective bringing people to Jesus? Think about it. We might be self-righteous if we haven't brought anybody to Jesus in several weeks. We might be self-righteous. We might be giving off a Uh, appearance that we don't even mean to. Look at verse 12 one more time. Jesus said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Those who are well have no need of the physician. Here's the question, who is well? None of us. None of us. None of us are well. And all of us need a physician. You know what? Sick people know that they need a physician. And we are sick people. I know, I know that of myself, right? I mean, I am saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. And I know I need his salvation in my life. And how refreshing it is to have a Savior that heals. And oh, how happy are we when he calls us in all of our sin and says, Hey, you know what? Follow me. Son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven. Now take up your crippled life and walk with me. Matthew, follow me. Let's go. Let's do life together. Oh, how happy we are when that happens. And oh, may we be like Matthew, so in awe of Jesus that we want everybody in our house and everybody, all of our friends, uh, just to come over and just say, hey, I want you to meet Jesus. I want Jesus in my house. He is the guest of honor, and I want everybody to know him because he heals and he gives life. And look what he says. He says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. What does that mean? He's saying, listen, I desire your devotion, not your duty. I desire your awe, not your attendance. I want your heart. I want your passion, not your polish. What are you giving God? Oh, he just wants our heart to be filled with him. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. How kind. How kind of our Savior. He's not trying to extract hard things out of us. He's saying, look, I just want your heart. All the kindness of Jesus. And look what he says. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. What does it mean he didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance? Well, the Bible tells us there are no righteous 
No, not one. There's only those who think they are. And he's calling all of us to repentance that he might be our Lord. Oh man, how amazing. How amazing. I hope these words bless you today. I hope the kindness of Jesus inspires your soul to be in love with him anew and afresh. Jesus told the church in Ephesus, remember your first love. Hey, remember that I called you when you were a total mess, when you were a tax collector living in the filth of the world. And I said, hey, I love you. I care for you. I understand what you've been through. You're valuable to me. Now follow me. Do you remember when he did it for you? Oh, I remember when he did it for me. And may we be so in awe of Jesus, so in awe of his kindness, that we are just going out into the world, not because we have to, but because we get to, and we walk around saying, oh, come and meet the man. Come and meet the God. Come and meet the Savior who changed my life completely. His name is Jesus. He loves you. And he'll do the same for you. You know what? May we do that now. May we just go around this week and may you go around sharing the gospel with others. May you go around this week and may you not be looking down at sinners and thinking that you're better. May you go, oh man, there, but there, but by the grace of God, there go I. And may it move your heart to just be filled with compassion, the same compassion that Jesus has for us. And you know what will happen? The Lord will use you to bring people into the kingdom. Invite them next Sunday as we have outdoor church. Hey, come check it out. We're doing a crazy thing. We're doing church outdoors under a tent. It's going to be amazing. Really look forward to seeing you next Sunday. Thanks so much for tuning in. May the Lord richly bless you. May his grace just flow upon your life. And may you be so in awe of his love that you sing the words like Psalm 63. Because your your love is better than life. I will praise you all the days of my life. Look up Shane and Shane, Psalm 63 live. Uh, Put it on your Spotify, on your car radio, and worship the Lord. He's worthy of our praise. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday. You may freely share this message with others as long as you don't charge for it. Support for these broadcasts comes from your generous donations that allow us to give away our materials for free. To participate with us, please visit our website at themissionchurch.net. God bless.